Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be with you today. If you have a Bible, you'll want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And while you're doing that, let me just say how good it is to be with you. Thank you so much for having me this morning, Jeff. I appreciate it. And it's good to be in Orlando once in a while. I get around a lot. And it's good to be here when I am. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. Hear now the word of our God. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings." Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you now calling no one our teacher but you. We trust no one like we trust you to tell us the truth about yourself, about us, about the world in which we live. We come to you now having heard words of your apostle written thousands of years ago. We come to you asking you now to send Holy Spirit to us that he will open our eyes and unstop our ears and soften our hearts. We need this desperately, Lord. Without him ministering to us, we have no hope of understanding or using your word as you would want us to use it. And so now we come asking you to speak to us that you may be honored and you may be praised. Amen. If you've ever been outside this country, you know what I'm about to say is true. You can go to some places, and as soon as you step off the airplane, you know immediately you're in a very strange foreign place. I can remember the first time I ever went to Mongolia, and I stepped off the airplane, and there in the runway was a cow not letting me get to the terminal. Okay, I turned right and he turned with me. And I turned left, he turned with me. I had to stand there until two guys came out from the airport and wrestled him down and pulled him out of the way. Then I got to go in. I was in a very strange and different land and it was immediately apparent. But I think all of us also know you can go to some places in this world and you can sort of be fooled into thinking you're still at home. That things really aren't that different. They don't speak a different language there. Things, they don't have cows in the runway. They don't do bizarre things like that. Oh, one of those places, of course, is um, the United Kingdom, England. And it's so obvious that Americans mess up over there that if you've noticed it in recent years, they've begun at crosswalks to paint on the road right at your feet in big letters, look right, with an arrow pointing that direction because they, they drive on the wrong side of the road over there. 
And you can begin to think that you're just at home and everything's normal and step out into traffic and get run over so they draw it on the road for you. Look right. Uh, That's the way it is in many countries of the world. You are sort of fooled into thinking everything's the same until you get run over by a car. Well, the Apostle Paul in this passage we're looking at this morning is talking about the fact that he and his ministry was going from one group of people to another group of people, from one country to another country, and that as he did this, he faced the challenge of different kinds of people, different cultures, different ways of looking at life. And as he did this, he was trying to figure out how to minister to all these different groups around him. Now, most of us are not going to be like him in the sense that we're not going to travel from country to country, from culture to culture, trying to figure out how then to minister to this kind of people or that kind of people. That's usually not what happens to us. But the reality is we can face the same thing he faced just staying in one place because no place stays the same. Now, a lot of you are not old enough to know that American culture and even Orlando culture has changed in remarkable ways over the last 25 years, just amazing ways. But the thing about changes that take place in one place is this. It's a lot like going to England. The changes happen so subtly and so quietly that it's very easy not to even notice them until you're about to get run over by a car. That's the kind of world that Orangewood faces. It's the kind of world your family faces. It's the kind of world you face as an individual, that the world around you has changed. And many of us are just beginning to wake up and to see that it really has changed and that somehow, as a Christian, we are being pushed back further and further into the corners of life, less and less relevant to the world of which we're now a part. And so as you and I and our families and our children and our grandchildren face this kind of changing world that we live in right here, we can learn from what the Apostle Paul said about his own life as he faced changes going from one place to another. But as he talks about this in this passage, the apostle is reflecting his own struggles, the things that he had to deal with. And he mentions here in this passage three different obstacles, three obstacles to being an effective Christian in a changing environment, in a changing world. And I want us to take a look at these three obstacles that he was able to overcome in his life. And as we look at how he overcame them, maybe we can figure out how we can overcome them too. Because Orangewood does not need to be in the corner of life. Your family does not need to be marginalized. You, as a Christian person, need to be at the center of this changing world that we're a part of. So what were the obstacles that the apostle faced? Well, the first one that he mentions here is the obstacle of maximizing our personal freedom. 
maximizing our personal freedom. Do you remember what he said in verse 19? He said, although I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Though I am free. Now, those are words that mean something to most people in here. Most of us in here are Americans, and those are wonderful words. We all the time think in terms of how we are free people here in America. And when the apostle says, though I am free, that's basically what he meant too. He meant, I'm a Roman citizen. I was born a Roman citizen. And that gives me certain rights, certain freedoms that other people in the great, huge Roman Empire didn't have. It meant that when the apostle Paul came to a roadblock, All he had to do was say, I'm a citizen of Rome, and they would pass him through. Other peoples, no, they didn't get to go where they wanted to go. They did not get to do what they wanted to do. They could not work the jobs they wanted to work. They could not have the associations they wanted to have. But as a free man, the Apostle Paul had that right. The Apostle Paul could have spent his whole life as a beach bum on the French Riviera. He could have taken it easy. He could have sat around, sold falafels or something like that. He could have had an easy life and a good life. But you notice in this passage, he says, though I am free, I didn't hold on to that freedom. I became a slave voluntarily. Now, you and I in America today have a great challenge before us when we hear these kinds of words because we embrace the idea of individual freedom. We embrace the idea that we ought to be able to maximize our individual freedom. I should be able to live where I want to live. I should be able to work the job I want to work. I should be able to have the friends I want to have. I should be able to use my money the way I want to use my money. I should be able to use my free time the way I want to use my free time. These are my rights. In fact, we believe so much that these are our rights that we're willing to send young men and young women off to die to protect that right of maximizing personal freedom, aren't we? It's almost in our DNA as human beings living in this country because it goes all the way back to the beginning, doesn't it, in the Declaration of Independence where we actually believe that God has given us the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, I couldn't disagree with what Thomas Jefferson was talking about in his day because basically you're talking about the option between tyranny of a monarch and the ability to worship the way you wanted to worship and to pray the way you wanted to pray and not be controlled by a tyrant, that's okay. But when we talk about freedom today, we're not talking about the option of a tyrant versus a life that is circumscribed by all kinds of social order and social convention. That's not really what we're talking about anymore. When we talk about freedom today, what we're talking about is nobody ought to be able to tell me to do anything. And so long as I'm not trespassing on someone else's life, so long as I'm not injuring someone else, 
I ought to be absolutely, perfectly free to do whatever I want. And we think somehow that is our inalienable right as American people. Do you want an obstacle to being able to serve Christ in the world of which you live today? Do you want a huge wall that you will never be able to overcome and be an effective parent for your children? Do you want a wall that is so tall you will never be able to climb it and still have your family do something for the kingdom of God? Then continue to maximize your personal freedom. Continue to think that that is your right given to you by God and you will never be able to serve the Lord as you ought. Because maximizing personal freedom is an obstacle to serving Christ in a changing world. Think about your Jesus for a minute. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, though he was equal with the Father, though he had every right to stay in heaven and to be there, he did not hold on to that right, but he let it go to become a human being, to become a servant, to suffer even to the point of death, a death on a cross. That is the only way in which you and I even have the possibility of finding eternal life is that Jesus did not maximize his personal freedom. And now you and I as followers of Jesus who have been saved by this one who gave up his rights to become our slaves are called upon to give up our personal freedoms for the sake of others, for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of our great King Jesus. So can you put your finger on a way in which You are circumscribing your personal freedoms. Every parent in here can do it because you're circumscribing circumscribing your personal freedoms for the sake of your children. You know that's true. But how are you doing it for the sake of King Jesus? It's time for you and me to realize that unless you just want to be pushed off to the corner, unless you just want to be left behind... We have to give up maximizing our personal freedom. But that's not the only obstacle that the Apostle Paul talks about in this passage. Do you remember he goes on to talk about something else? Verse 20. He says, to the Jews I became like a Jew. Then verse 21. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Verse 22. To the weak I became weak. And here the Apostle Paul is talking about, as paradoxical as it may sound, the fact that when you maximize personal freedom, the other thing that we tend to do is to become extremely inflexible. Unable to bend to the left and to the right. And inflexibility is another huge obstacle to being able to serve Christ and further his ways on this earth. Inflexibility. You know what it's like. If you believe that you have a right to be whatever you want to be, just so long as you're not trespassing on someone else's freedom, well, then it's very easy for you and me to become 
inflexible in what we're doing with our lives. And in fact, often we get confused about this and think, you know, the way to have really good Christian convictions in our day is to dig our heels in, rigidify, and put our fingers in our ears and say to ourselves, I'm not going to listen to what anybody has to say. What I'm going to do is what I think is right, and I'm going to do it no matter what the consequences are, no matter what other people say, no matter what my circumstances are. This is the way I'm going to live and put a period at the end of the sentence. Inflexibility. And inflexibility is one of the greatest obstacles that Christians in this country today have as they are trying sincerely to serve the kingdom, but find themselves increasingly marginalized. The inability to bend. I have a friend who lives on Lookout Mountain, Tennessee, up behind Covenant College, and I visited him a few years ago, and he had just had, about three days earlier, a tornado come over the ridge of the mountain. He's back on the Georgia side. came over the ridge of the mountain and went right through his front yard. He had this very nice two-story house in the middle of his woods with a clearing around his house, and the tornado came right through. Now, near his house were these huge oak trees. I mean, they were very large, maybe eight, ten feet in diameter. I mean, they were unbelievably huge. And the tornado had come through and picked up those oak trees and had thrown them into his house. So they were up there trying to cut these oak trees down and pull them out of the house, gone through the roof in several different places and the like. But as I stood there in that clearing and looked around, I could tell where the tornado had come over the ridge and through the woods up into his front yard. But there was something very interesting. There were many trees that had been torn down in that path that the tornado had left, but there were some trees that were standing tall, unaffected. They were the pine trees. Now, you know why, don't you? Because when the winds came through, the pine trees were able to bend. And because they were flexible, they were able to stay rooted. The oak trees weren't able to bend. And when the winds came through, the winds simply lifted them up and threw them into the house. I mean, you can imagine the conversations, can't you, between those pine trees and those oak trees before the tornado came? (laughs) You know, the oak tree says to the pine tree, you call yourself a tree? Look at me. Look how big I am. Look how large my trunk is. Look how my roots spread out. Look at how strong I am. And is it surprising that they chopped down all the other trees around their house and left me standing? Of course, we, the oak trees, are the greatest trees of all. And the poor little pine trees, none of which were around the house, but all just out in the woods, felt like little wimps. No conviction, no strength, no personal integrity. Yeah, you know, what are you, some little pine tree? But you can also imagine, can't you, the conversation the day after the tornado? The pine trees looking at the oak trees that had been thrown into the house, mocking them and saying, you know, who's sorry now? Because you know what happened when the winds came through and the tornado came through, the oak trees held on, bore down, decided they were going to be able to resist all of this, And they were split in two and thrown to the side. 
the pine trees, when the winds came through, they said, oh, you want to bend that way? Well, that's fine. You want the wind to go that way? That's fine. Oh, yeah, man, we're flexible. We can go with you any way you want. Yeah, it's no problem. And so at the end of the storm, who was standing? That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in his own life right here. He's saying, look, when I'm with the Jews, I'm like a Jew. When I'm with Gentiles, I'm like Gentiles. And I want you to understand just how radical that was. Because when the Apostle Paul says, when I'm with people under the law, I become like one under the law. Remember, these were the rituals. These were the principles. These were the traditions that as a Christian, he had discovered were actually sending him to everlasting perdition. And yet, he said, when I'm with people who do those kinds of things, I'll be glad to do them. And remember that this is the same Apostle Paul who had been told by his mother from the crib, look, don't associate with Gentiles. They're dirty. It's hard to say what kind of disease you'll catch. So don't go around them. Don't eat their food. Don't play with them. Don't associate with them. But the Apostle Paul goes against everything his mother and father taught him and said, when I'm with the Gentiles, I'll be like a Gentile too. That's extreme flexible. That's extremely flexible. The Apostle Paul is actually saying, I am willing to become whatever it takes to move in this circle or that circle, with one exception. With one exception. Did you notice that in verse 20 and 21, he has these little parenthetical statements. He says, "Um, when I'm with people under the law, I'll be like one under the law, but I'm not under the law. And when I'm with people without the law, I'll be like them too, but I'm not without the law. I have the law of Christ in my life. So what's the one exception the apostle is willing to say, I'm not going to go that far? The answer is, I'm not going to sin. The apostle understood that the only way for Christians to stay rooted in Christ when the winds of change are blowing is to draw the line at one place and one place only. When the Bible clearly teaches that we are to do something or not to do something, we stay rooted in this, but we do not draw the line of flexibility at convenience. We do not draw the line of flexibility at what suits me, at what is preferable, the kind of music that I like, the kind of movies I like, the kind of socializing I like. It's not personal preference. It's not convenience that's the measure here. The measure is one thing and one thing only, the word of God itself. I hate to tell you this, but it's terribly, terribly inconvenient to minister as a Christian today. Just terribly inconvenient. Because it used to be, 25 years ago or so, that in your neighborhoods, most people were just like you. I mean, they liked the things you liked. They spoke the language that you spoke. They preferred the things that you preferred. And so, you know, you can have a party. Everything's fine. Everybody's doing the same thing. Everybody understands what you're supposed to do. The customs are set. It's very easy. 
But now if you go around your neighborhood, you discover that you have people who are from other countries. You have people that speak other languages. You have people that have different lifestyles than you have of all various sorts and kinds and shapes. And all of a sudden, it's not so convenient anymore to have friends in your neighborhood. All of a sudden, we realize, hey, if I'm going to reach out to someone, if I'm actually going to share the love of Christ with someone, it means I have to become flexible. And actually, I don't like being flexible on these issues. And I don't like being flexible on those issues. What I want to do is just be who I am. And if they like me, okay. And if they don't like me, okay. But you see, it's not a matter of preference. It's not a matter of convenience. It is one thing and one thing only, a matter of the word of God. You want to be pushed to the side? You want to be run over by a car? One of the best ways to do it is to decide, I'm living this way, and I don't care what anybody else thinks. But the reality is, it's not what Jesus did. I mean, how many times did he have to say to the disciples, don't you get it yet? Don't you understand it yet? How many more times do I have to say this to you? How much did Jesus have to tolerate from the people around him? How flexible did he have to be in order to serve you? Well, let me put it this way. How flexible does Jesus have to be with you? Do you find him tolerating a lot in your life? I suspect you do. Jesus will never stray into sin, but Jesus will be flexible like those pine trees going back this way, going back that way in order to minister the truth of God and the salvation of God to you. And if he's been that tender and that kind to you, how can you and I be anything but that to others? The obstacle of personal freedom, yeah, oh, I've got to maximize my personal freedom. I'm an American. Yeah, and then the obstacle of inflexibility, this is the way I'm going to live. I don't care what people think. That will drive you to utter irrelevance. But there's a third thing here that the apostle talks about. It's the vision that he had for his life. And the third obstacle that he talks about here is that if you want to be marginalized, if you want to be pushed to the side, if you want to be irrelevant to the world, if you want to have nothing to do with the forward movement of God's kingdom, then all you've got to do is accept this obstacle, a vision for your life that's too small. Now listen to what the apostle says here. Did you notice he kept repeating something over and over? Verse 19, why give up your personal freedom? To win as many as possible. Verse 20, why become flexible? To win those under the law. Verse 21, why become flexible? To win those not having the law. Why become weak to the weak? That by all possible means I might save some. And then verse 23, he capsulizes it this way. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. 
How was Paul able to give up his personal freedom? How was he able to become a flexible person? It was because he had a big vision for his life, not a little one. And what was that big vision? To see the salvation of as many people in this world as possible. And to share in the blessings of the good news of Jesus by spreading the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. That was his vision. He understood that his life was not his own. That he had been bought with a price. The price of the Son of God. He understood that he had a mission in life. And it wasn't a little thing. His mission in life was to see as many people in this world come to Christ so that the earth might be turned into the kingdom of God. But how do most of us think of our lives? I found that most evangelical Christians today just think in terms of, well, you know, who am I anyway? I mean, what am I going to do with my life? You know what I've got to do? Well, the best I can do is get a job, make sure I keep a job, work real hard to take care of my children and raise them up, and then save as much money as I possibly can so that I can retire with the same amount of income that I had during my working years. Now, if I do that, I will have succeeded. That's the vision most people have for their lives in the kind of class of people in America that's represented in this room. Live my personal life, work my job, raise my family, save enough money so I can retire with the same level of income I had during my working years, and then retirement comes and your life is over because you don't know what in the world to do now because there's no other goal, nothing left to be done except to die. Is that the vision of your life? Have you come to the king of the universe and received his Holy Spirit so that you could live something as small as that? If your greatest goal in life is to have a good career and to retire... It's going to be a huge obstacle to you serving the king of the universe. The apostle Paul had a big vision. It was a vision that he had inherited from his king, King Jesus. And King Jesus had as his vision the changing of the earth into the kingdom of God. That's why he came. By the way, Jesus did not die for you so you could have a good retirement. That's why he came to transform the whole world into the kingdom of God. And so as the Apostle Paul receives this vision from King Jesus into his own life, he found his way to contribute to that project, to that goal, to that dream. And when Holy Spirit comes into your life and my life, the same vision becomes ours. It becomes our hope and our dream, our purpose, our sense of destiny. What is my life about? 
My life is about bringing the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth to see as many as possible come to Christ and to change the earth on which they live. This is our goal as Christians. Now, if you take that goal on, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be comfortable. It wasn't comfortable for Jesus. It required him to give up a lot. It required him to suffer a lot. And that goal was not easy for the Apostle Paul. It required him to give up a lot and to suffer a lot. And you and I, if we reject the tiny vision that the world has told us to embrace and embrace the global vision that Jesus has called us to embrace, then it will not be easy for us either. It will involve you and me giving up much in this world and suffering much in this world for the sake of King Jesus. But if you are one who has this kind of huge vision for life, If you are one who is willing to give up what it takes to see that fulfilled and to suffer in ways that requires then you will find yourself at the center of this changing world and one who is able to fulfill the ministry of Jesus in this world. So what do you want for your life? What do you want for your children? What do you want for your grandchildren? What do you want for this church? What do you want for this culture? What do you want for this world? Yeah, it's really true that at times when you go from one country to another, you can tell immediately things have changed. And you have to change the way you live when you go to those kinds of situations. But when it creeps up on you, sometimes you don't realize that a change has happened until it's too late. Well, here you and I are living in a day when the change has creeped up on us. It's crept up on us. It's, it's come to us to the point that we can no longer ignore it. And we have to change. We have to be people who give up our personal freedom. We have to be people who understand the importance of being flexible in this world in order to stay rooted in Christ. And we have to be people who need to reaffirm in our own hearts and together with each other the grand, large vision that we have inherited for our lives from our great King, Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we adore you and we bless you that you have not left us with something small and trivial, but that you've given us something that's worth every sacrifice, every effort. We bless you that you considered all of these things for yourself 
and you were willing to give them up for the sake of your father's kingdom. And we say to you now, we are willing to give up our personal freedom. We say to you now, we are willing to become flexible like you were in this world. And we say to you now, Lord Jesus, we want to embrace your vision for our lives, for our families, for this church, for this world. Grant us this grace, we pray. Amen. <laughs>